Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, we are uh, back in the studio again. Of course, you're not here with me again, and uh, maybe one day we'll be able to return together after uh, all this COVID stuff is over with, and I know that our audience will also be glad that uh, we're back together because that will mean we're through this thing. Uh, amen to that, and I'm even on my cell phone right now because I am at Kimberly's house and her internet is down. So we are doing what nurses do all the time, exactly what Bethany Hall Long told us. Uh, If nurses find a wall, they go over it, under it, or around it. So that's what we're doing. We're making this work for us. That's right. Or um, as my, uh, my grandfather used to say, you can make lemonade out of lemons, Um, Mm -hmm. but he used to say something about chickens and using the bathroom and you can't make anything out of that, Sharon. (laughs) This coming from a man (laughs) whose wife had her picture made with her pet chicken at her wedding. That's right. I kid you not. She did. She did. Dorothy (laughs) Jane. I think there were more pictures. I think there were more pictures of that chicken than there were of you. Yeah. Well, there's a story behind that. When her dad had a midlife crisis and for his midlife crisis, instead of going out and buying a sports car or something, he bought chickens and he's raising chickens. So, you know, that's kind of his deal now. So, and it's great for us right now because we get all the eggs we want. Oh, and, well, and so good. You, you can't process. find any at the grocery store. That's right. But you process <laughs> those chickens once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then you've got chicken as well. So, Well, there uh, you have it. And he's got his garden. I said, you know what? We'll just go up to their house. We don't have to do anything. We'll just go eat up there. So. There you go. I do miss my garden. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we've gabbed enough now. We also want to welcome our guest today, Sonia Schwartzbach. Sonia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And and Sonia, now you have uh, quite a history here, so I'm going to introduce you a little bit. Um, So you have your BS in nursing, a BA in English Lit, both from Rutgers. You are currently back at Rutgers getting, um, you're an SRNA there and will be a CRNA, what, in about a year or so because you're a junior right now? That's correct. Perfect. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're also a blogger. Uh, is it for Huffington Post, Ari? Yes. Yes. And that's you're an author. I am. Yes. Yes. And, in my free time. And <laughs> your free time because, uh, and you're married and, uh, you, you know, you got all this stuff going on. But um, the name of your book is Oh Shit, I Almost Killed You. Oh, now, what's, what's that content? You got to share that with us, Sonia. 
Well, I know it's got a little bit of shock value, um, <laughs> but the subtitle is A Little Book of Big Things Nursing School Forgot to Teach You. Yes. Um, I had a phenomenal nursing education, and I felt that the didactic side was extremely thorough and prepared me well, but you don't really know what you're doing as a nurse until you're in it. So mm-hmm. I was really inspired after my first year as an ICU nurse a couple years down the road to really take what I had sort of learned and turn it into little bit of memoir, some stories, but also kind of a how-to book. Ah, well, you know, you're going to have to have a sequel to that when you get out of anesthesia school, because it's the same thing. Oh, absolutely. On steroids, right? (laughs) You got it. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to uh, version two uh, in a couple of years, whenever you get out of anesthesia school. Because we all learn more in the first year after school than we learn the whole time we're in school. That's the feedback I'm getting from everybody. So I'm looking forward to that point as well. (laughs) All right. Well, good. Well, Sharon, you actually uh, introduced Sonia to me, and she is doing, again, some phenomenal work to help out during this COVID crisis and and the nursing community in general. And I'll let you tell us a little bit about that, Sharon, um, and then we'll kick it back over to Sonia. Well, actually, how I found out about Sonia was through Tracy Castleman. A few nights ago, the Fab Four, we were having a virtual happy hour. And Tracy told me about you, Sonia, and what an influencer you were. And, you know, I believe that the profession is going to be in great hands going forward, no matter what people say about millennials, because they have no fear. They're not afraid of anything and they're social influencers. And that would be you. You're on Instagram, correct? I am. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I didn't realize how powerful that platform could be until it started to grow after I published my book. And then I started to realize, wow, this is, you can use this for change. You can use this Mm -hmm. for your voice. There's so much more than just hashtags on social media. Yeah. Right. So you have 47,000 followers on Instagram. I do, yeah. I do. And tell us about that process, how you started on Instagram and how you came to have 47,000 followers. Sure. So, so much of the way everything evolved from not only writing my book, but also publishing and, and having to market it myself really came from an inspiration when my mom had surgery um, at a top cancer center. She had her right lower lobe removed. And at that point in time, I said, I need to write a book. I had been putting off what the universe had been telling me for many years. And I'd been ignoring this gut instinct that I just had to get something out there. So I made it my goal that by my birthday, I would write and publish a book. Of course, I had no idea how to do any of that. (laughs) So I would go to work in the CTICU and I would work three or four shifts a week. And then I would sit down in Starbucks for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours a day. And I wrote my book in less than three months. So at that point in time, I, you know, I had a friend who was a photographer that I got to take a picture of the front cover. I had somebody who was a legal person that I bought dinner to help look at my legal setting. And I came to a place after I self-published through a very small publishing company in Ohio, where I said, holy cow, I don't, I don't even know the first thing about advertising. And social media is so accessible that it essentially levels the playing field. You mm-hmm. don't have to have a million dollar budget to be able to put things out there and communicate with people. So that's how it all sort of started. 
I converted my little personal account into a public account and sort of let that snowball. And then one day I remember waking up and I had like 10,000 people following me. And I remember saying, what are these people people even interested in right now? (laughs) I'm not like... I mean, I'm talking about work and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm posting some funny content, but it's not really that interesting. But, you know, it turns out the nursing tribe is a very, very tight community Absolutely. and it has extended out to advanced practice folks and physicians and people outside of healthcare. And I think it's really that sense of connectedness, especially in these times where we are so isolated and distant from one another that it really does make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree. And you've also done um, a lot of work here lately dealing with COVID and how it's affecting nurses and in various capacities and hospitals. And I guess, you know, you're right up in the throes of this being up in New York, New Jersey area. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that work and how you got started doing this? Sure. Um, So I started to receive messages from many of my followers and being in the tri-state area the extent of the COVID-19 crisis has hit so hard in this area that it truly is a war zone. And I had many messages that I had received from people telling me some of the tragic stories about what's going on in terms of the, the conditions and the lack of PPE. And really what's being echoed over and over and over again was there's not enough equipment to safely take on what's going on. So I had a call with a dear friend and mentor. She reached out to me from working through a different company. And she said, what can we do for you guys? And I said, equipment. I said, you know, I had an old nurse preceptor once tell me in my ICU orientation, nurses can do anything as long as they have the staff and the stuff. Mm. You Ooh, have I like that. Two, as long as you have those two things, nurses figure out the rest. But we don't have the stuff. And that's also taking a hit on the staff. So I started to get this feedback and said, my gosh, I need to do something with this. So I started the Mission for Masks uh, Google Form template as a way to anonymously collect from nurses and healthcare providers across the spectrum. It didn't just have to be nurses. It could be really anyone on the front lines. I've gotten feedback from technicians and respiratory therapists and social workers and surgeons. But for them to be able to safely provide feedback about what's going on in a capacity that was safe because I was going to keep it safe. You know, one of the biggest things that I've learned over the past few years in developing a following was that there is a sense of trust between yourself and a follower. And there's a relationship with someone who might be a total stranger where they still have a trust in you. So initially I posted it in my page to try to see if people were willing to put in feedback. And all of a sudden, you know, over the next couple of days, I had over a thousand stories collected from people regarding what's going on. So that being said, I had my good friend got me in contact with two other incredible women who were able to put me in touch with the New York Times. And after the Times read some of my email to them and some of what my background was and what my position was, they said, holy cow, we need to really do something with this. And that's how we ended up publishing some of those stories and the idea behind it in the New York Times this past week. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm assuming that it is probably far worse up there than most people realize right now. You know, the the other question that I had in collecting this information was, is it truly only Seattle and California and the, the Northeast region that's suffering or is it across the board? And you'd be shocked by how much feedback I received from across the country. Uh, you know, 
when these areas are getting a strain, when there's there's a strain on the entire system, there's going to be a trickle down effect. Right. So mm-hmm. even though some places don't have the COVID crisis quite at the pinnacle yet, they're still, you know, rationing resources and doing what they can to protect whatever little resources they have. And that to me was very telling. I was assuming it would be the majority of Washington state, California, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, but I was wrong. It was pretty well across the country. So how many people have commented on it as of now? So as of now, I have over 2,500 messages that I've received um, and hundreds in my direct messages as well in my Instagram account. So, you know, the, the goal is going to be to turn this into a platform. And I'm working again with some really incredible people right now that we can turn this into something that does have some legs and really can gain some traction across the country to get really big you know, eyes and ears aware of everything that's happening. Well, you know, as I've been watching all of the news coverage, one thing that frankly has annoyed me somewhat is they keep looking to the medical and physician community. Mm-hmm. And while I appreciate that, they may have contact with the patient for five minutes, but yet nurses are 24-7. And you are giving these nurses a platform that the mainstream media really has not been giving to them. Yes. And I, I agree with you. I think it's in large part, the media focuses on getting folks with credentials up there. They look at titles, they look at people who come as with sort of expert background. And I do agree, that's extremely important. You want credibility. But by the same token, if you hear from the nurse who's going into their shift telling you, you know, putting their hands up and saying, why doesn't anybody listen to us? This thing is clearly much worse than people realize. It's not being dramatized by the media. In fact, it's bigger than people recognize. Then perhaps people would maintain their social distance. They would stay home. They would do the best for the rest of the community. So I think that's part of the goal and expectation here as well. You know, the nursing community, I think, for so long has been touted as heroic and angelic, but also in many ways a subservient. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I struggle with. I think in large part, we are always, as practitioners, willing to do the job, but not to light ourselves on fire to be thrown in. You know, we need to have the protection that we require. And to me, that's been such a big issue. And that's one of the things that's happening. Read the book. Let me tell her something before you go. uh, Read the book, The Medical Monopoly. But take take labetalol before you do. Oh, Lord. I'm going to. Okay. Yeah. I'm writing it down. Whenever you whenever whenever you have spare time. Yeah, uh, I will. Joke, joke. Sorry about that, Jeremy. That's okay. That's okay. Between uh, Morgan and McHale and Morgan and Sarah. McHale. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Your two best friends right now, right? That's absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, I was just going to say, you know, this um, document that you've created and the work you've done. I mean, you're you're doing this anonymously. You're giving folks the opportunity to get that word out there anonymously. And you know, one of the things I was reading a little bit about some of the stuff you've done and what you said. And you said very rightly so that in the nursing profession, there's a history of retaliation. Mm-hmm. And I was re- also reading the other day about a nurse, I think, I believe she's in Chicago. Yes, she is. And she was fired for sending an email warning her coworkers at Northwestern Memorial Hospital uh, that the masks they were being told to wear were not sufficient. 
um, or adequate. And that's just another example of retaliation. I mean, here she is looking after being that caring person that nurses are looking after her colleagues and she was fired because of that. And I think there's an ongoing lawsuit now from what I've read. But why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's a huge problem, not just necessarily mm-hmm. even now with COVID as, as an anesthetist, which, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are, are or a nurse in general. This is a huge problem. Sure. You know, it's something that I think already existed and nurses were well aware of before this crisis happened. And now with the in the throes of a pandemic, it's become even more heightened. You know, on one side, I totally understand that establishments and institutions have to protect themselves and protect their reputation. That's not the issue. Right. The problem becomes, you know, there are nurses who are openly, you know, imploring me, please don't ever share my name, my institution, what type of, what even what state I'm from, because I never want it get, to get back to me. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's not simply that they're being fired per se, they may simply end up getting a rough assignment every time they go in. They may be the one that's thrown into floating every time they go in. There are these little ways where they, if they are something of a squeaky wheel, not even a whistleblower, not even someone who's going out for, for big issues, but if you're someone who doesn't just say, I'll take what I'm given, and you do speak up and question, there are ways that perhaps they are being retaliated against in microwaves. And that's just as bad because in the end, these people are either going to leave or they're going to end up saying, I tried to fight. I'm never going to stand up for what I believe in again. And it's going to perpetuate this issue of silence at the bedside even longer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a great point. And um, Sharon, I know you've experienced this. We've talked about this. Um, You know, my wife is a a CRNA as well, Sonia, and, you know, she's experienced it. I think every nurse along the way has experienced some sort of backlash. Um, And, you know, since most of our CRNAs are laid back type B personalities, I know it's okay (laughs) for you guys. And you're okay sitting in the back seat, you know, and uh, yeah, that's us. All right. Um, so, Sonia, I want to ask you, what else has happened since the article came out in the New York Times? I mean, I think yesterday when we talked, you were getting ready to do an interview with the BBC. Yeah, and- yeah you know, there are, there are multiple outlets that are reaching out to me. And at this point in time, I'm doing my best to give whatever information I can do in a capacity that is comfortable to me in terms of anonymity. I will not release the document to anybody because I I find that would be against the ethics of how I collected all of the information. Absolutely. However, I do have multiple news outlets who have come to me asking if they could source through me any nurses or healthcare professionals who might be willing to um, speak openly, who might be willing to give them an anonymous statement, who may be willing to record themselves over the course of the day. So what I'm doing using my social media platform is I'm taking some of those phone numbers and contact information, and I'm, I'm leaving it for my followers to make that decision so that they can be the person to have the choice instead of it coming through me. That way, if right. they'd like to communicate directly with those news outlets, they can do so. But, you know, truth be told, the emails and uh, messages and the phone has been ringing off the hook for the past couple days. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. I think the more that this can get out and more that we can address the issues at hand and keep the front lines at top of mind 
and keep their safety at top of mind. I think that's the biggest goal here. Hey, Sonia, what are what are some of these nurses out there that are on the front lines of COVID? What are they saying? What are they saying about the environment and and what's going on right now? You know, there's a lot of, I don't even know if fear is the word. I think helplessness is the word that I'm getting over and over again. They feel helpless. They feel as though they already know they're going to be infected. They say it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, at what point in time. And the other issue that I find so tragic and heartbreaking that people don't realize is many healthcare providers who are going out and going to do their jobs to save people every day are now being hyper-criticized in the public. People oh, yes. Scrubs. People can't leave their house in a pair of scrubs anymore without being you know, treated as though they've got some sort of, you know, they're being alienated mm. because they're doing what they need to do. The issue we have now is the media is showing the conditions in these hospitals. They're now starting to focus on the lack of adequate protection. They're talking about the spread of this disease, and it's the healthcare providers who are now being made to be isolated. Mm. So I know nurses who can't have childcare. Their daycare centers won't take their children anymore. They can't find somebody to watch their children to go to work during the day. I know people who have newborn children that can't see their children and have to stay in a completely different part of the house or in the garage to sleep at night. You, or you won't be the, allowed into an office. Right. And that's that's the sort of feedback that I'm getting. There's a sense of such helplessness that they feel as though they have reached a point where they thought it could not get any worse and we haven't even hit the pinnacle yet. Yeah. You know, somebody messaged me and said, it's like you're watching a car crash and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And you know that you haven't even made impact yet. We're not even at that point. Mm-hmm. But you just anticipate the trauma before it's even there. I think one of the biggest issues that's going to have to be managed during and at the end of all of this, thankfully, when we all hopefully come out of this somehow, um, you know, bruised and beaten, but hopefully okay, is the impact on the mental health of healthcare professionals mm-hmm. who have experienced what they're going through right now. This is a war and they are battling on the front lines. And I think that being cognizant of what this is going to put in terms of an emotional toll and a mental toll on our front lines, that's something that we're all going to have to address after this is all said and done. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think a lot of people are going to be dealing with that, not only in the healthcare industry. I think a lot of other industries are going to have a, a rude awakening coming out of this as well. So, and Sharon, you mentioned something. I think we were talking to Jackie about uh, actually a hospital here in North Carolina. We won't name any names here, but um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they were telling the folks in the hospital that to utilize the CRNAs because the residents uh, were too important. Is that, was that mm-hmm. correct? All the CRNAs are taking care of the COVID patients because they go, you're expendable. And when you get sick and so no residents are being allowed to take care of COVID patients. See, it's, it's that kind of mindset where you eliminate the teamwork and the all hands on deck mindset. Yeah. And you stratify it in such a way that ends up causing such a greater rift when we should be unified. Yeah, I agree. And, and Sharon also saw that the ASA is uh, trying to capitalize on this. I didn't know if you saw that this morning as well. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think everybody's strategizing again to make this disaster um, work to the good. Yeah. <laughs> so Exactly. 
but all hands are on needing to be on deck and you're exactly right. Teamwork. But, uh, you know, also whenever we talked with uh, Jackie yesterday, who's the president of the IFNA International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists, believe it or not, she said that Africa was ready uh, for this much more prepared because they had the Ebola crisis and they've learned from it. So, Myself being the glass half full kind of girl, I think that when we come out of this, uh, we'll be ready the next time anything like this hits. Because taking your document, I imagine that if it comes to a point where there can be a learning curve from this, all of this will be so very important going forward. I think, you know, no matter what happens at the end of the day, it's obvious that healthcare has to change and there will be some major changes in healthcare after all of this is said and done 100%. And hopefully we can learn from all of the missteps that have occurred at this point in time, you know, for as much bad news as there is from for as much negativity. I also want to point out the amount of ingenuity and creativity that I've come mm-hmm. I have received so many messages from incredible people across the world. This morning, I got a message from somebody in Argentina. Uh, you know, yesterday, it was somebody from Sweden. There are folks from around the world who are generating these ideas, these new ways to try to, you know, makeshift PPE, to makeshift new sort of masks, to use what they already have and try to repurpose it in a way that is safe and effective. At the end of the day, when you look at what comes out of that side of things, the human spirit and the ability to adapt, that's a huge factor that I think also needs to be celebrated during these really difficult times. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love the scene in Italy where they're all on their balconies and playing music. Uh, My best friend's sister lives in Milan. And so she's constantly sending stuff to us about the resilience of the people out there. But I mean, it's totally devastating in Italy. And uh, Milan is the streets are it's a ghost town, a ghost town over there. And she is she is at home uh, uh, with her two children by herself. And some of the things that that she's sending out gives is very hopeful. Yeah, it does. And that, you know, that's the hope that we can find these these pockets of light in sort of a very dark situation that we can use to pull us through. Because listen, anyone who is a a CRNA or a nurse anesthesia resident at this point in time has been an ICU nurse before. We've seen the darkest times that people can have. We've already experienced the most challenging patient situation you can ever be in. So we know how to mentally manage those things to a certain extent and a degree probably far better than the average person does. That's why I think it's so important to not only be a voice, but to reach out to one another, because there are going to be days when the person you think is the toughest person you know, isn't having a good day, and they might need to cry, and they might need to scream, and they might need to talk about it. So now more than ever, we need to connect with one another, whatever that means, in order to keep that going in order to keep that sense of these are challenging times. I need the resources to do my job. I'm doing the best with what I've got, but I'm going to push forward. You know, I think there's that sense of grit among ICU nurses that just really resonates. 
Yeah, I think those are good points. Um, well, and we want to thank you for kind of changing the tone of this as well and, and letting our listeners know that there is some positive coming out of this and it's not all negative. There will be positive changes on the back end. You know, when people's backs are up against the wall, that really tells the the tape of who they are. And we are seeing people react to this positively and doing good things for others. And I think that's another key in light of this crisis. There's a lot of people out there doing a lot of good like you right now, Sonia, and the things that you're doing. And we appreciate that. We appreciate what you're doing. I know you're busy. Um, everybody so wants much. to talk to you right now. And, you know, you've got a lot of news outlets that are that are there and you can spread this word. And we just want to thank you for taking your time and being with us and our listeners today um, and making a difference because you are making a difference. Thank you both so much for having me. Um, you know, this platform is so important. And I think it's important that we have these kind of conversations within a community that really understands one another. So thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with as we kind of wrap up here? You know, be kind to one another, especially during these times. You know, there are some mornings that I wake up and I just want to rip my hair out and I want to scream and, and punch a wall and say, I can't believe things are as they are. But at the end of the day, be kind to one another. Yeah. Check in on those people that may need it. Yeah, yeah. And bring him a roll of toilet paper. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> oh, and always have an extra roll of toilet paper. That's it. And oh. some uh, sanitizer wipes. Whenever I got here to see Kimberly, my husband um, is a contractor, and he had a box of N95s in his trailer. And so uh, I've got N95 masks for Kimberly. All right. Absolutely. Hey, Absolutely. you can drop a few off out here on the outside of the building, Sharon. I'll run out and get them. <laughs> it'll cost you <laughs> uh well listen we want to we want to thank our listeners for listening to beyond the mask um with jeremy stanley and Sharon pierce if you like our show and want to know more check us out on itunes or wherever you get your podcast listen to our other episodes and leave us a review please but only if it's positive that's right as we all know we have enough negativity out there we'll take constructive criticism but no negativity yep. so until Absolutely. next time everybody be safe and wash your hands and covid free and it's a wrap Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, president of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and president and founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. 
OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.